Hello, everyone. It's San Diego Comic-Con Eve. And what do three crazy fans do? They decide to record a podcast on Secret Invasion and then pack like crazy people. With me tonight is Stephen Tullifield and Mark Zaid. We're all on panels together. We're all buddies. I'm super excited to see everyone in person. Stephen, how you doing? I'm good. The uh, packing is slow, but I feel like I can do it. I have confidence. Um, and it was fun to watch Secret Invasion this week as kind of a break and see the plot thicken and the body counts increase, although not entirely. One person we thought was was out of the picture is no longer out of the picture. <laughs> yeah, it's but a flesh wound. Mark, how you doing? Uh, I am just so psyched to leave for the airport at 4 30 in the morning tomorrow uh so uh, but hopefully be a smooth flight to san diego and uh, i'm looking forward to uh comic con for sure even without all the actors yeah i was never one to stand in line for autographs or go to hall h so for me it sounds like it's still the same thing i know there are people who are bummed about autographs but uh, this is the threat of AI turning, uh, putting people out of work because of background actors and we don't need writers, we just have AI. That's all crap. So I'm all for them striking because if not, everything's just a matter of huge plagiarism using AI to scrape content from <coughs> recorded history just to come up with wacky stuff on its own. So. Goodbye, originality. Hello, big brother. So strike away, my friends, strike away. And we're going to take a strike because we got to do this quickly. So it's warp speed for all of us as we pound through the many issues uh, in this episode. So, all right, elephant in the room. Oh, God, there's a lot. So, let's, uh, Stephen, you took the first crack at the code here. And we have a what not to do when you're married to someone, and that's pull a gun on them. And uh, can you talk us through the the uh, complicated relationship on whether Fury and Priscilla need uh, either divorce or renew their vows? Yeah, that was a great dynamic um, and raised a couple of really interesting issues. As I was looking um, to prepare for our Marvel panel on Saturday night at Comic-Con, small plug. Um, I was looking at uh, the defenses of duress um, and I, I noted that sort of Rhodey uh, threatened Priscilla in that first scene in the church that, you know, either she kills him or he kills her. And ordinarily it's, it can be a defense for some crimes and some personal injuries um, towards if, if someone forces you to do something under threat of imminent bodily harm but um, that does not apply to homicides. So um, she would not be able to use the um, defense of duress, even though Rhodey really um, threatened her with, with her life if she didn't follow through on assassinating um, Nick. Also, yeah. oh, go ahead. Yeah, there was a Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode where they go to Tahiti, same thing. The heroes go in and murder a few people because they need to get, you know, Cree uh, blood in order to uh, help Sky. It's like, you can't murder and claim necessity or duress. Like you just, you don't get to do that. It's right. just, no. 
that's if you're under threat of someone threatening to kill you, that's a point when you contact law enforcement. <laughs> that is not something where you uh, do what they say um, to to avoid your injuries. So yeah. Exactly. And then the other thing, too, is that that situation, um, concurrent with that scene, we see um, Nick eavesdropping on uh, Priscilla. He's bugged her. And so he's able to hear the conversation between her and Rhodey. And at least here in California, many states have them, but um, it's a crime in California to um, eavesdrop or uh, listen in on conversations that you are not allowed to. So that's under the penal code, section 632. So he's committing a crime by doing that. Unless, of course, um, and maybe um, Mark has some insight on whether as an agent, he has some authority to to bug um, confidential um, conversations like that. Well, I mean, the one thing that as we go through everything, and I'll, I'll mention it in passing in a little bit, uh, is to keep in mind, we're in England the entire episode, and most of these episodes, uh, Russia for a little bit, uh, and trying to think Germany and England. So th there are aspects of U.S. laws that that apply. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through this episode. Uh, and, you know, I have no idea, of course, what the law is in England with respect to party communications and and eavesdropping. And as I'm sure many of the listeners know, that does vary from state to state in the United States, as far as if you need any consent, one party consent or two party consent. Uh, in fact, I think there was just an Oregon Supreme Court case uh, about that that shot down one of their laws about requiring uh, it. Now, you know, interesting as far as the intel angle. So I'm still unclear as to exactly who Fury works for. Uh, and it goes a little bit. And I think we talked about this in. I don't remember if it was the second or third episode when Rhodey did fire him without any due process, which normally would be the case for a federal employee. Now, the political appointees don't need due process. And if you're a probationary employee, you don't uh, receive due process for for things. You can just it's almost like an at will employment. Clearly, Fury has been employed by the U.S. government for 30, 40 years uh, at least trying to track like his timeline uh, for this this particular Fury character. Um, so I, I can't imagine he wouldn't be entitled to, to some due process. Um, now, U.S. law enforcement officials and intelligence officials, let's just say U.S. agents overseas, may be are allowed to do certain things that under U.S. law is legal, but isn't necessarily legal under the host state law. So meaning under U.S. law, what Fury did, if he had been authorized, and you know that seems clear that he was not, he did it on his own. Uh, if he was authorized, he wouldn't face prosecution for that under U.S. law. But if the Brits caught him and, and wanted to prosecute, which uh, for that case, doubtful because it's a U.S. national against U.S. national or U.S. national versus U.S. national scroll. I'm not sure uh, if he's a U.S. national. Uh, but for example, the the time when he bugged the owl, uh, who what I forget what she said, she called Matt, Mr. Fury. Or she named the owl something about him. I forget the MI6 operative. Uh, you know, I could see the Brits wanting to prosecute him for that. Other than 
does he have diplomatic immunity if he was operating under color of law and authority of the U.S. government, which, again, it doesn't appear to be. But all of those could be legal issues that would come up uh, if if the Brits ever caught uh, him, although it doesn't look like they're ever anywhere, any Brits around <laughs> for the most part. They're busy. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a weird thing. Uh, let's also get into there's multiple issues happening all at once. We have a domestic violence issue when you show up with guns to talk to the other spouse. Stephen, I'm not married, but I think that that's generally a, a bad sign when everyone's bringing a gun to the dinner table. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, domestic violence is sort of um, adds a whole other layer to any other sort of crime you've committed um, if the victim is a spouse or intimate partner or child or anyone that you're kind of living with. Um, at least in California, if you um, if you're convicted of a crime like assaulting or um, battering of, of an intimate partner or spouse, you, you not only are sentenced for the crime, but you might also have to do some mandatory time, um, some mandatory participation in some sort of counseling or diversionary program payment of fines or restitution, loss of custody rights, loss of gun rights in California. Um, if you're a non-citizen, you might have immigration consequences. So they do. the authorities take this really seriously. And I was looking into it and I saw that in California, um, the statute actually requires officers to determine who the dominant not the primary aggressor was when they're called to the scene of a of a domestic violence situation um and i was trying to i was kind of struggling to see to determine who the dominant aggressor in that nick and priscilla um situation would be because they both pulled guns at precisely the same moment and fired at the same moment it's a really mutual <laughs> abusive situation so they might both wind up being taken into custody in that situation yeah, but they both do a hamilton with not shooting the other spouse so like that that that, that could have ended badly <laughs> so uh which brings us to breaking and entering into roadie's hotel room oh boy howdy there's he he's represents the u.s government so he's still military but he's assigned from the president he's like that's trespassing in a hotel room Bugs the or bugs him with a liquid tracker, which again, that's cool shield tech that we do need more of. Uh, but all of that is it's a breaking and entering, trespass, all, all nasty bad stuff. Uh, why don't we keep pushing on? Since again, hacking's calling all of us. Uh, I'm not sure who added a bunch of notes about the conversation, but let's just get into the conversation between the two of them. Who got into the extortion? I think I added that stuff, but I'm happy to let folks no, chime in on go that. redheads. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's a situation of dueling extortion attempts, um, basically. That um, Nick shows up in his hotel in Rody's hotel room, and um, at least you could characterize this as an attempt to say, if you give me my job back, I won't tell anyone about all the scrolls in the U.S. government. 
Um, and Rhodey says, I have a counter offer or rather a counter extortion where I will not release this footage, this incriminating footage of you shooting um, Maria Hill um, if you go away and keep quiet about everything. Um, so these, so extortion or, or attempted extortion, at least in this case, since the crime is not completed, apparently, um, every person uh, is, makes it a crime for anyone to um, attempt to, um, by threat, um, extort property or other consideration from someone else uh, violates California law. And the, the kind of fear or threat can be exposed or to impute the victim to deformity, disgrace, or crime, or to expose a secret affecting him, her, or them. So I, both of them, and the word secret is in the title of the show. So both of them are threatening to expose secrets about the other um, in some in exchange for some sort of consideration. So those would be certainly uh, extortion under California law. And I see that yeah. someone is sort of running with the ball in the federal law too. Yeah, yeah. I, I pulled up the federal law, which is 8 USC 873 on blackmail or extortion. Although this is actually the penalty section of it. Uh, so you'd get up to a year in federal prison, a fine or both uh, of, of those. I imagine the definition is probably pretty similar. I didn't pull up uh, that particular section in Title 18. I'm not even sure what Title 8. I wonder if I if, is 18 and I missed the one on the eight because i'm trying to think what the heck title eight uh, might be and now i feel now like eight was, is the immigration code isn't it? i know now <laughs> as i'm thinking that just doesn't sound right and i might have just not copied properly Funny. when i copied and paste uh but that's interesting no because it under, is it is um, oh it no is uh, no it's eight it's 18 yeah I, oh, just, okay. I, I dropped the one there Funny. you go so. but it's interesting how both under federal and state law it's just a misdemeanor it's only uh, punishable by prison up to a year. And it, that makes a difference for um, for Nick breaking and entering into um, the hotel room, because if he intended to commit a felony while inside the hotel room, that would make the crime burglary and not just a criminal trespass. So um, it makes a difference for his for his prosecution. Um, now, they're actually in Section 872. I'm glad I looked this 873 up because I've just found another one. So 872 is extortion by officers or employees of the United States. So whoever being an officer or employee of the U.S. or department or agency thereof or representing himself to be or assuming to act as such under color or pretense of office or employment commits or attempts an act of extortion uh, shall be fined also uh, number one, three years or, or a fine uh, that doesn't exceed $1,000. So that theoretically would apply to Rhodey if Rhodey was Rhodey. Uh, so now we have the notion of Rhodey not being Rhodey. Rhodey's not even a he. Uh, Rhodey is a she uh, scroll, uh, at least by appearance. Uh, I don't necessarily know how the scrolls are, uh, but they generally, I think, have been male and female that we've yeah. known them to be. So I'll assume that for now, um, which is is an interesting because that's the first time we've we've seen that. Uh, the I, I suppose. You know, what, what difference would it make? I suppose if they took on different genders. Uh, but now, of course, we have the questions. We don't know when this happened to Rhodey. At least now we have a better sense four episodes in that presumably Rhodey is alive somewhere, but we just don't know when Rhodey was captured. And of course, that sets into play 
oh, wow, lots of comic book stories and novels that can come about as to when Rhodey actually became a Skrull, uh, which I which I going back to the uh, the thing with Priscilla, the whole notion of how long has she been a double agent Skrull? Was the marriage fake to begin with? I mean, it, it appears their emotions are real to begin with, but did that happen as time went by uh, versus, you know, was, was it real or not the whole time? Not a legal issue, so we don't need to debate that. I think back to the Secret Invasion comic that Spider-Woman had been replaced long ago, so pre-forming of the new Avengers and technically the Spider-Woman's limited series, which was great, meant it was the scroll all, all along. And like that was that was something that just kind of ticked me off about it. So there's people wondering if it was the scroll roadie that was an endgame. People are going like, then Stark's death and that exchange really seems lessened. So I don't know. We'll find out. Well, we'll find out. I, I am. I'm my prediction on this one, and I don't usually predict is if they even tell us it. It's going to be clean, and we'll have no impact on any of the prior storylines as we know it. Uh, so as not to complicate it, but but we'll see. Now, yeah. on the burglary issue, I would question whether if my hotel room had been burglarized by someone I caught who has a $5,500 bottle of bourbon, I might waive pressing charges. That probably was tasted. That's not... That is a, Pappy Van Way, that is a real bourbon. Uh, I thought, it, I, I, I'm a scotch drinker, so I don't know my bourbon as much, but uh, I, I looked it up as soon as I saw it to see was whether this was real or not uh, versus um, a... In in Better Call Saul, there was a wine that they kept drinking, or tequila. Tequila they kept drinking, and we looked it up because we wanted to get it. It turned out to be it was fake. They created it for the show. But this is a real bourbon, $5,500. That's extreme product placement. That's because uh, it's, yes. it's not like Coca-Cola appearing or everyone drinking soda, uh, like Repo Man style, where everything's just generic. Like this is... That's a real product that people with lots of money could go get. We will not be doing that at Comic-Con. <laughs> it just not this year. Maybe one day, but not this year. So let's get into... Uh, God, I just, I, again, trying to keep it focused so we don't go too far. But we have a huge issue with trying to start World War III by framing Russia for killing the US president. Yeah, that should guarantee a nuclear exchange. Like that's, there's the short form for nuclear war. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's how this goes. Um, I don't normally make predictions, uh, but I did for Kang appearing in Loki, and I was right on that one. I wouldn't be surprised if we get the president taken out, so that way we get Harrison Ford as president by the time of Captain America 4, because he's supposed to be president. If there's this currently serving president, that means they either do an election in between TV series to next movie, or you bump off the current president and you have a VP 
and Thunderbolt Ross as VP would make sense in a world where half the population turned to dust and came back five years later. So like that would having, I mean, it's kind of like an enhanced Cheney as your VP. Uh, there you go. But we'll see if we get a Ford cameo by the end of this, because I think the president won't survive. Like That's just my prediction. Uh, he's not going to make it. Seemed pretty beat up. Yeah, it's just, he needs medical care. So the legal issues, it's a crime. Now, fun fact, we didn't make it a federal crime to kill the president until Kennedy. That was a huge oversight because the others were just charged with murder. And it, you know, you, you, um, for Lincoln's assassin, you know, John Wilkes Booth, he was shot. So there wasn't the need for a trial. For Gitaru, Garfield's assassin, yeah, they, they convicted him. It was a failed insanity defense. That man, uh, it set the precedent for you could be unsound of mind, but still sane and know what you're doing. And they hung him in record time after that trial. He um, was a lawyer. Yeah, he was, was a practicing lawyer. I have, I have legal correspondence that, that he wrote as a lawyer. And I have a piece of the rope that hung him. Uh I Garfield might have been the smartest person ever elected president in our history. And the fact that he only served for three months before getting shot and then spent four months dying. And, you know, it, I mean, there's the phrase ignorance is bliss comes from his doctor bliss. So there was a huge anyway, McKinley's assassin. I don't remember how all I think that, it was electrocuted. Okay, so tried him, Oswald, and there, there's debate on whether or not uh, Harding had been murdered by his wife or Republicans who were upset that he was wising up, uh, but that's one of those big conspiracies in history on whether or not, and again, he was cheating on his wife, like she was not happy. There's also a theory that maybe the wife and uh, Republicans worked together to assassinate him. There's a few theories floating around, or he really just did die of natural causes. We don't know. Uh, then Kennedy happens, and we we then make it a crime. In addition to eliminating uh, LBJ, was the last president to not have a vice president. And they, they realized this is probably a bad idea to leave that vacant in the nuclear age. So long way of saying we have crimes, we have code on the book saying you can't kill the president. I don't think we need to go with, into that into any more detail. <laughs> that, uh, it's a crime. It's Seems pretty obvious. Yeah. But what was interesting, so it's it's 18 U.S.C. 1751, specifically for not just the president, but also the vice president and uh, president and vice presidents elect. I think the only thing interesting I found out about that section was uh, you can only get the death penalty if you succeed, if I read the statute correctly. Uh, do try any act to affect the object each show here two or more conspire or maybe let's see if you attempt you kill 
any individual is the president in A. And then in C, you attempt is imprisonment for any term of years or for life. And then if two or more people conspire to kill or kidnap in A and one or more, yeah. And if one or more do uh, any act to affect, you know, I, I, sometimes legal language is just serious. This is just, I, the fact that I have to read this multiple times to understand what it is. If it works, then you can get the death penalty. But anything short of success is uh, up to life. Out of curiosity, do you know, either of you know who was the first president to survive an assassination attempt? Jackson. John Quincy Adams. Was he? So a disgruntled uh, person who didn't get appointed drew a gun on Adams and the gun didn't fire. Uh, I think that was the same with Jackson. I think it was a misfire. So Jackson had enough duels. So yeah. uh, anywho, moving forward, uh, we do have uh, one of you added about the UK crimes and shared jurisdiction. Mark, you know, right? That was me. Yeah. I mean, look. Obviously, again, we're in we're in England, uh, and in fact, a whole bunch of the special forces guys that were protecting the president were Brits, uh, at least by their insignias. It was a little hard to tell who was a Brit and who was American, uh, maybe if you looked carefully enough. But uh, if you weren't looking carefully enough, it wasn't that easy to tell. And uh, I think even sometimes when I heard some of the Brits speak, they didn't sound like Brits. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there. Uh, and I would have thought there was actually going to be more people uh, present as part of the the motorcade. But uh obviously all all, on the helicopters yeah and then we're like where'd the <laughs> helicopters come from all of a sudden I, mean, I would have thought there would have been helicopters there from the get-go not that you would have had to have called them uh from wherever but in any event uh obviously all of these were uk crimes as well as u.s crimes and i should say the the killing of the president as well as 18 usc 1114 which is protection of officers and employees of the U.S. So any of his Secret Service agents uh, or any uh, special forces or analysts that were with them, briefers, things like that, uh, they are protected in the sense, or they'd be dead. Anyone who kills them or attempts to kill also can be prosecuted. They would be prosecuted just under regular murder, manslaughter, etc. But what is interesting, man, not surprising about these statutes is they have specific extraterritorial jurisdiction for just this type of situation. Uh, now, if the UK, uh, and no doubt the UK would uh, cede jurisdiction to the United States, well, let's say if they caught the Skrulls or thinking they were Russians or whomever, uh, I imagine they'd prosecute them for, they might still first prosecute them for killing the Brits, the special forces, uh, but we do have an extradition treaty with the UK. It's been in existence since 2003. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, look, Britain uh, is our closest ally. Um, and the, the only thing that we really do have issues with them at times uh, is whether an offense is political, as most extradition treaties have an exception for that. Uh, but murder is an exception uh, to being political. Can't, I mean, frankly, this would have been the most political murder it was. It was specifically killing him to try and start a, a fake world war. Uh, but the political exception uh, would not apply or the political offense exception. Um, 
the other issue that does come up, and we saw this in Julian Assange's uh, founder of WikiLeaks uh, extradition efforts or fight against his extradition efforts because he's been indicted in the U.S. District Court of the Eastern District of Virginia under the Espionage Act, uh, is whether or not we apply the death penalty because Britain doesn't apply the death penalty anymore. So sometimes we, uh, the U.S., has to tell other countries who we're seeking extradition from that we promise not to seek the death penalty. Uh, would be an interesting test case that hopefully we never see as to whether or not if it was someone as senior as the president of the United States, whether Britain would say, nope, as a moral matter, uh, we're against the death penalty, so we're not going to extradite this person. We'll prosecute them here. Uh, but but we'll see. Uh, hopefully he won't die in this episode, so we'll know, or series, so we won't even find out. But who knows? You might be right on that. Yeah, time will, we'll know in a couple of weeks. So like it's, uh, we'll know very, very quickly. The, the issue of killing a US president in a host country, I mean, the Brits would be rightfully upset with Russia launching an attack in their own borders. That arguably would be an act of war right there. Attacking the US president directly. We're, we're, we're now in an act of war situation as well. So Russia would not, I mean, whatever political capital they had would be lost. Um, the other thing that, that one of you raised in, in the notes that uh, Gravik's men, a bunch of them are dead. They should be scrolls again, unless they figured out how to turn that off. It doesn't seem that they did. I, I mean, there were quite a few things in the battle scene that fight scene or assassination attempt scene that didn't make any sense from a plot perspective uh i mean they seemed like they almost expected fury and talos to be there uh they certainly weren't surprised by it uh so then why is gravik and his other key buddy who i don't remember if we ever knew his name or probably we do why are they in real their their usual human form like it's Gravik and it's the guy, right? I mean, all the others are pretending to be Russians. Hey, Gravik is speaking Russian, I believe, at, at a point. Uh, so I suppose the people who don't know who he is, you know, uh, would would then go, okay, he, he's Russian. Um, I, I mean, to be factually honest, there's not a lot of African-American Russians. Uh, I think that would be statistically unusual. Uh, I remember my... One of my college professors who I was very close to, African-American, uh, he went to the Soviet Union in 1985. I went right after he did in 88. And we talked about this. So I that's 40 years ago. Maybe things have changed, but we're in a lot of African-Americans in in the Soviet Union or Russia at that time. So um, that would be a little bit unusual, I think. I'm certainly not impossible. But then he reveals himself as a super scroll. So. I'm pretty confident the Russians don't have that capability uh, of doing that, uh, which which was for those who haven't seen it yet. He extended his, his his arms into like tentacles, like Mr. Fantastic and choked uh, some special forces guy or secret service agent. I'm not sure which it was. Uh, was that a was that a Groot power? Yes, it looked right. Right. It looked like Groot, <laughs> yeah. actually. No, the way they Groot. did it. Yeah. And, and of course, Fury shot him multiple times as Gravik was pretending to be a British special forces guy. 
which he didn't flinch, but then shot him in the face and good special effects for your Marvel slash Disney because uh, half his face was gone and it healed right away. And I'm pretty sure there were a lot of humans that that survived in that attack. Most likely, quite frankly, because the technology now, everything on film from the vehicles and the helicopters. So the whole plot of Gravik trying to prove or show this would be or pretend this would be Russia is completely out the window. Yeah, yeah. as soon as you go magic arm, done. Exploding head and it's with the flesh wound, done. Also raise the question, does he not have brain damage? Like your brain grew back. Did the memories in that frontal lobe grow back and like you, you didn't get a surprise lobotomy? Extremis is a powerful drug. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, even the notion, Gravik specifically tells his number, I'll call him number one because I don't know his name, to take out Talos. And they make it a point in the show to show that Talos being struck by one or more bullets starts, he can't maintain his humanly form and he starts reverting half back to a scroll. They knew, they would have known that, right? I mean, Gravik and the guy would have known that. So what are you, are you trying to accomplish that? Now, they're trying to stop Gravik from breaking in to get the president. But, I mean, you still got helicopters, just blow up the car again. Uh, I mean, why, what does it matter if they pull him out? I mean, everyone's getting shot, but now you've created this other diversion scene, deflection scene, where uh, Talos is now in scroll form. So the that's going to have to be explained, uh, unless, of course, you get everybody uh, sign another non-disclosure agreement under the United Kingdom. You got the Official Secrets Act. So you could probably swear everybody who was there to complete silence so that nobody would know about the fact that there are these strange aliens that we never heard of before uh but it seems to have undermined the entire point of what gravix operation was and this goes back to wakanda forever not making sense with namor threatening global war in order to keep his country secret that defeats the purpose like if you go to war with wakanda the rest of the planet's gonna know you don't keep that hidden so it's a bad plan. Like if they want to do false flag, okay, that's how you start World War III, but you got to be successful. And as soon as there's dead green people, the secret's out of the bag. Because I mean, there wasn't a press corps following the president. Was the plan to just kill all of them? And, and go like, look, we got all of the Americans and the Brits. There's no one who lived to see a green corpse. So it's just, it's radically problematic. I mean, usually the plot would be you leave some who can then testify to they were speaking Russian. They were wearing Russian uniforms. I don't, I'm not sure if they were wearing actual Russian uniforms that I recall. I think they were kind of bland, but I, you guys might remember. But anyway, you'd, you're, you, they were purposely speaking Russian. Gravik made that a point to, to give that instruction to his men. And to use big explosions like the Russians would do, uh, which uh, 
some of it, yeah, just didn't make sense. I did find, and I don't, I presume this is actually true. Uh, I found, and I found it very cool to watch the one presidential uh, vehicle have a missile launcher show up just out of the top and blow one of the helicopters out of the sky. I would think that actually kind of exists. I don't know. I, I've actually never seen a presidential convoy vehicle have that kind of capability, but maybe. I don't know. It's probably a Google search will reveal that. I've only seen one presidential motorcade. It was freezing cold. I don't remember the weapons package following. So uh, even then, they'd want it nondescript. Also, it was in there, right? It came, yeah. it, it came from the passenger area. So maybe there were just two people, you know, a driver and a, a passenger up front and, and just the, the missiles in, in the back, I suppose. But I've, it, I've never seen one of those vehicles before. It's like the, um, you know, some of the Tom Clancy plots actually did inspire our government to go, yeah, we don't have a plan for a 747 trying to crash into the Capitol building. We should think of that, you know, like that's. Yeah. Well, we did the same with Ian Fleming. He visited John, John F. Kennedy and they and actually Ian Fleming was uh, Secret Service during yeah. World War II. He was a spy uh, and and they did discuss plans uh, a la, you know, James Bond science fiction thriller spy novel is uh, particularly with respect to uh, Cuba. Uh, and Castro. And and that was one of the, I think that one of the ideas was then, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it came from Fleming. I mean, they were going to try and make his beard fall out just to embarrass him. I know that was a CIA plan that might, I can't remember if that was one of the Fleming suggestion or not, but, but that was an actual meeting between them. Oh, the more, you know, so yeah, there's a lot there and uh drunk roadie is just hanging out waiting for the president to get shot. Which again raises the issue: Don't show up drunk to work, and if you're going to meet the president, don't have booze on your breath. Yeah, I mean, I guess he just assumed that it wasn't going to be a problem. Like <laughs> the boss is going to be taken care of; no one's going to report it. <laughs> that was a weird scene. Yeah, just that was just weird. I mean, he could face loss of his security clearance. Uh, Guideline G of the of the adjudicative guidelines, which are issued by the White House, deals with alcohol um, coming to I've had enough clients who would come to work drunk uh, or with alcohol on your breath. You could have absolutely be disciplined for that. Um, that but that was just a, a weird scene. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure what the purpose of that. See, maybe we'll learn that in another follow up episode, but I'm not sure what the purpose of that exchange was between Rody the scroll and the president about the bourbon yeah I, I took it to be that the scroll was so um confident that that everything was going to happen that that she could just maybe do whatever she wanted and there wasn't going to be any consequences for it because she knew that it was going to be all that over soon sounds plausible sure yeah I, I was also i think uh like I, i'm still enjoying the series um I, I'm still waiting to find out whether at the end I'll be disappointed or satisfied. Uh, I was a little surprised how short this episode was. Mm -hmm. This was the shortest of all the episodes. I think it was like 38 minutes. Uh, yeah. It was like a full 20 minutes shorter than most of the others. 
No, I'm I'm enjoying it. You know, I I have things I question about it, but again, Falcon and Winter Soldier made me angry because of just plot holes and governments don't work this way. And what are you thinking? This seems to be in the you know camp of good spy story. You know, and it's condensed. You know, it's why I liked Hawkeye because it was a very straightforward story. This is a straightforward spy story. It has global implications, but it's told very direct. And it's not Fury with tons of safe houses and toys. It's limited toys. He's very smart and trying to stop, you know, Holocaust from happening. Totally get it. Totally makes sense. That said, is there anything else we want to cover for the good of the order tonight? Not legal, but I noticed when um, when Gaia and Telos were having their conversation on that park bench, did you notice it was an Agent Carter Memorial bench? No. <laughs> I picked that up. It's so cute. I mean, it's there's you can just see like Carter and then like her birth date and the year that she died kind of on the back of the bench there. Um, it's very cool. Oh, which, nice catch. Yeah, did was, you catch that on your own while I watching? Did. I never catch Easter eggs like that. And that was the oh, one. So nice. I was made, I wanted to document it here on the podcast that I had actually caught an Easter egg. Um, but it, I, we also saw the Mission Impossible movie this weekend with Haley Atwell. And so She's been everywhere, which is great. Glad she's working. Yeah, she was awesome in that movie. Uh, yeah, this is, it's good to have regular Marvel TV shows. You know, just, you know, one a quarter. If it turns into one every six months, I'm happy with that too. Just make them good. And I'm curious to see where this goes. But here's, here's a question that I wonder about scrolls. When they shapeshift, their clothes change. Are they naked? Or do they have magic clothes that change with them? So like they're all wearing jumpsuits? How would not best to think about that too much? Yeah, we're not saying <laughs> Let's not naked, overthink that. <laughs> we're not saying naked scrolls after one of them dies. They're still wearing their street clothes. But they had had changes. And it's like, how does the clothes thing work? This is like, again, miracle molecules, so it changes with them, kind of like Fantastic Four style, or is this, are they just not wearing anything and that raises being nude in public and their clothes are actually them? So many questions. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, do we even know anything about their reproductive capabilities and organs? Are they similar to humanoids? I mean, Fury was married to one for... 25 or so years right uh they clearly reproduce don't know i i don't know does the comics explain how they i re they do have their own genders so with male female but they can shape shift in outside their gender to a different gender and as we're seeing with the scroll and person in fury it's a she playing him excuse me up uh, uh roadie please roadie um, so they do, and we saw Talos, uh, play Russian woman. So like they, they can do that, but it's, uh, they would have a different perspective on life being able to shape shift to the other gender that like, uh, there was, I remember in a political theory class that the 
punishment for this one person in ancient mythology was to be changed to a woman. And then he was changed back to a man decades later. So he knew it was like to be on both sides. Like that's just, human beings don't know that. One of the, one of the comics that I highlight in my uh, history lecture that I'll be giving at this year's comic con is a Jimmy Olsen issue from about 69, 1969 or 1970, where he, becomes a woman now i think he actually i'm trying to remember i think he only dresses up as a woman but it's all about how to experience sexual harassment and what it's like and then there's a at the same time period probably within a few months there's a lois lane issue where she actually becomes an african-american she she transforms she goes into a machine transforms into an african-american to experience what it is like uh with respect to racism it was dc was very much in its uh in the late 60s uh in its social uh cultural uh, mentality uh progressive mentality uh as as what was going on in obviously in the united states uh, at that point um they were very much out in front uh very blatantly you know you, you had i mean that's when the falcon was created same time period so you had the first african-american superhero uh, and then Luke Cage didn't follow much after, but those those weren't addressing uh, the, the problems of the day that was being experienced in uh, the culture of the time. That was just kind of uh, uh, filling a gap, uh, I, I suppose, that was uh, very absent. Yeah, and and it also raises the issue of something I. I don't understand, but I'm trying to learn is with gender identity and those who you know, realize that they uh, identify as the other gender. That's a newer phenomenon that we're being respectful of and understanding of, because it's just different. And it's not something we've really uh, addressed or uh, thoughtfully in society until recently. So, uh, but there's a lot to gender that, that books can be written about and understanding can happen. But the scrolls being able to switch back and forth literally is something that humanity does not experience. So, All right. yeah, I mean, you got to assume the switch encompasses everything. Yeah. So anyway, just something I've been wondering with, with this. But the clothes thing is weird. So yeah, yeah. well, I don't know. What do we got? Uh, two episodes. Two, two more episodes. Six. Yeah, it's just two. Yeah, six. I right. Think... Two more episodes. So yeah. maybe, maybe the magic of the clothes will be explained. <laughs> all will be revealed. Well, maybe not all. <laughs> right. Hopefully not. It is. It is on television. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I guess the episode, there's another episode tomorrow while we're at preview night and then there'll be one, um, after Comic-Con. Yeah. We'll, uh, maybe we'll record at Comic-Con. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) With that, everyone, thanks for tuning in. If if you're at Comic-Con, look forward to seeing you Thursday night, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Lawsuit. That's Mark, myself, and a bunch of other talented people. Saturday night is Warrior Mania with the Guardians of the Law. 
with Stephen, myself, and a whole bunch of other talented people. And Mark, you got your JFK panel, you got your comics history panel. And what's the third? I'm forgetting. That's it. You're ours. The Indiana oh, Jones oh, is the oh. third panel. So yeah, my other panels are on Thursday and Friday. Thursday afternoon or Thursday evening, Friday morning for my comic book panel. Look forward to it. Break a leg. Excellent. We'll see everyone at the show. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and above all else, stay geeky. Take care now. <laughs>